Hey, uh, are you ready for week two of Anatomy of a Disciple? Man, I hope you're ready. I think this series, I truly believe this is a crucial series for our church, for us as a body. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, go make disciples. Who was he talking to? His disciples. It was the great commission, although we water that down now to the great suggestion. But no, it's the great commission. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Here's the thing. It's hard to make something that you have no idea what it looks like. And, and I believe the church has done a poor job at showing this is what a disciple looks like. Can, can, can I be honest with you, man? It's easy to get somebody saved to pray a prayer with you. It's a whole different thing to get them to become a disciple and actually begin to follow and become like Jesus. Last week, we, we, we talked a message called Leave Everything. And we looked at these two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. Jesus walked up to them and said, come follow me. And, and they did just that. The Bible says they left everything to follow Jesus. Why would they do that? Uh, when you understand the culture of that time, it's easier to understand why they just up and left everything to follow Jesus because Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus gets referred to as a rabbi at least 13 times in the New, in the New Testament uh, from everybody from just ordinary people to the Pharisees and Sadducees that hated Jesus. They at least referred to him as rabbi. Uh, but Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. Anybody remember there were two types of rabbi? Anybody remember what the second type of rabbi? A rabbi with what? Anybody? What is it? Shmika. Shmika. Hey, just say it like you know what you're saying. And people, they're pronouncing it right, I'm assuming. They, Shmika. It means they had the authority to interpret Scripture. And as the rabbis uh, with Shmika, what they would do, they had their interpretations. Like, uh, a real quick rundown. Like, the law said, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, each rabbi had their interpretation of what that law. Could I walk on the Sabbath? Could I? Get, how far could I go? Can I carry something? It, what is considered work? And they had these different uh, interpretations. Anybody remember? Let's see. Here we go. Anybody remember what that rabbi's, their interpretation of text, what it was called? Thousand points for anybody that remembers it. The rabbi's yoke. The rabbi's yoke. Well, yeah, that, that we're going to look at that here in a, in a little bit. And, and so he, uh, he was, Jesus was a rabbi with Shmika. Uh, to be a disciple was the dream of every 15-year-old Jewish boy growing up in that culture and in that time. Get this, by the age of 10, there were three different levels of, uh, of education. By, by Biet Sefer was ages 6 to 10. By 10 years old, they had the entire Torah memorized, first five books of the Bible. If you're following along with us in our Bible reading plan, how many of you are thankful that today was the last day of Leviticus? Yes, amen. <laughs> so, uh, 
but they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. If you made it beyond that, you went on to what was called the Talmud or House of Learning. By then, by the age of 14, you had the entire Old Testament memorized. Come on now. Anybody got a, a Bible Bible? I mean, just pull up, pull, pull up the Old Testament. Show how thick that is, Kristen. Just the uh, entirety of the Old Testament. You have that memorized. Wow. And y'all get mad when I ask you to memorize one scripture. And, and, and you learn the art of answering. You didn't answer a question with an answer. You answered it with a, another question, which Jesus did a whole, whole lot. And then if you made it past that and you were considered the best of the best, you went on to Beit Midrash, which uh, house of study. And what you would do, you would apply to be the disciple or Talmud of a respected rabbi. Get this, one writer said this, only one out of every 10,000 got to become a, a disciple of a rabbi. One out of every 10,000. And if you didn't make the cut, well, you went home, uh, you, you learned the family business, or you apply, apply for an apprenticeship to, for, for a tra- to be a tradesman. But if the rabbi said, this person, this kid has got what it takes, they would t- look at them and they'd say three words, come follow me. Once that rabbi looked at that kid and said, come follow me, that 14 to 15-year-old kid would leave his home, leave mom and dad, leave his local synagogue, the village he grew up with, leave his friends. They would leave everything and would devote their entire life, not just to learning what the rabbi knew, but the goal was to become just like the rabbi. Uh, And get this, rabbis never went out recruiting. You, You went to them. Recruiting was beneath them. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went out recruiting. Jesus went out. He found these young men, these young fishermen, and said, follow me. They left everything to become just like Jesus. Last week, if you were here, if you got anything, if you took home anything at all last week, I hope it was this. God went looking for you. God chose you because God believes in you. Some of you have never heard that, but let me tell you, God believes in you, and he chose you. Um, Being a disciple, though, it's more than learning. It's more than knowing what they know. Uh, It's more than knowing some facts, but being a disciple is about following Jesus in every aspect of your life. Our behaviors, our actions, the way we talk, uh, every every lives. We we want, in fact, we want to be so close behind Jesus. We want anybody remember what we want said about us? That the dust, we would be covered in the dust of our rabbi. That brings us to week two. All right, you ready? Hey, those in my generation, I'm dating myself. Uh, if I say you hear the words "be like." Does that bring anything to mind? Huh? Be like my. Anybody remember this commercial? Play that for me.
That commercial came out when Michael Jordan was in his prime. It could be summed up, the, the, the whole thing of what they're trying to say can be summed up in three words. Be like Mike. You want to be like Mike? Drink Gatorade. Come on. I'm just going to leave it there. Be like Mike, 10-time NBA scoring champion, five-time MVP, six NBA championships, arguably the greatest player to ever play the game. Be like Mike. In 2020, they revisited this commercial, but, but then they added little phrases like uh, dunk like Mike, groove like Mike, spin like Mike, shrug like Mike, ball like Mike, dance like Mike. The whole premise was be like Mike. And while they didn't overtly come out and say this, there was a question being asked. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Because if you want to be like Mike, here's what you got to do. And, and, and what, I, th- that's the question that everyone in this room and watching online will have to answer. Who do you want to be like? What do you want to be like? Because here it is, w- whether we know it or realize it, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you are a disciple of something or someone. Everyone. Well, well, you may not even realize it. And Jesus walks up to these four men who were fishermen by trade, meaning they didn't have what it uh, took to make the cut. So they had to go back to the family business. He walks up to these four men and says, Hey, guys, who do you want to be like? Come follow me. That's the question I pose to you. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want? And here's what I know. In this setting, if I was to go out or even before church, if I was in the lobby, hey, who do you want to be like? A reflex answer because we're in church. Jesus? It reminds me of a story about the pastor that, that would do these little five-minute messages during the worship set uh, the, where he would bring the children up, gather them around, and he would do this little five-minute message uh, to, on their level. And one particular day, he was doing it on stewardship. And he's like, hey, kids, listen, here's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of something that is soft, gray, furry, has a long, bushy tail, stores up nuts for the winter. What am I thinking little Johnny raises his hand and says I know the answer is Jesus but it sure sounds like a squirrel <laughs> church has a tendency to do that to us sometimes where we conform instead of being transformed we just give the answer we think we're supposed to give instead of being honest and letting Jesus transform us Who do you want to be like? And their reflex answer in church is, well, I'm in church, so the answer must be Jesus, but it sure sounds like Michael Jordan. I'm a Michael Jordan fan from way back. Uh, in fact, my son-in-law, Josh, Casey, one or two of his friends, uh, we actually got to see Michael Jordan play his last year he was playing. And we made a trip down to Atlanta uh, where uh, 
we got sold some bad tickets, and my son-in-law, Josh, he's a big guy, so he threatened the guy, and we got our money back and got good tickets. Uh, got in there. We're sitting up there in the stand. This was Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Dennis Rodman. I, I mean, it was the, the crew. And anyway, we're sitting there watching the game, and Casey's got his binoculars. The guy beside us, hey, can I borrow your binoculars? Casey's like, yeah, sure. He's, so we were like, we're enjoying it. When we turn around, he borrowed the binoculars. He's gone with them. Uh, but but I, I'm a Michael Jordan fan, but be like Mike? Is that who I want to focus my life around to be like Mike? I mean, I'm being honest. I need I need something more stable because you know uh, HBO did a doc. It was an HBO that did the documentary on him, uh, uh, the 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 Last Dance. You know, there were some areas of his life I don't want to be like. There were some character flaws in his life. There were some bad habits in his life, and, and so there's some things. No, there's only one area I'd like to be like Mike in. I'd like to play ball like Mike. Okay, wait, two. I'd like to be rich like Mike. So, uh, so two areas I like to be. But, but to be like Mike, I, I need something bigger, something more stable, more dependable, more life-empowering, more, something to model my life after. And to be like Mike, my goal. It is something I, 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 I will work on until the day I die. The goal is to be like Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean I, man, if you, that doesn't mean you get it right all the time. You read the Gospels. Jesus was constantly having to get with his disciples. Come on, guys, are you serious? But what I love about Jesus is he never once told them, guys, you don't have what it takes. He said, I believe in you. I believe in you. The goal of the disciple of the, of the, in the first century is to become just like the rabbi. In fact, Luke said it like this, Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like. Can you bring that passage up? Will, will what? Be like. be like his teacher. Last week, we started this series looking at Jesus' approach to Simon and Andrew, James and John, saying, come follow me. And their response was they left everything to follow Jesus. Uh, right before that, Jesus had been, had been baptized by John. Uh, he come, comes out uh, of that. Go, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights and begins to preach this message, Mark 1.15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near, therefore repent and believe the good news. Jesus shows up and said, guys, the kingdom of God is here. But if you want to see what it's really about, you want to operate in the kingdom, you want to be part of what I'm doing, the first step is repent. you got to repent. Today, the passage we're going to look at, and we're going to settle in here for the remainder of it. Uh, we're going to read the last verse of Matthew chapter 4, and then the first two verses of, of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew four twenty five. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. That closes out chapter 4. The opening of chapter 5 is where we're going to stay. Verse 1 and 2. 
When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing climbing companions. If you're taking notes today, last week you had it easy. There was only two fill-ins. Today, be ready. Got a lot of stuff to say. Today, if you're taking notes, three truths about being a disciple. Good is always the enemy of great. We never fully arrive. Good is always the enemy of great. You ever, you, you ever walked up to try to help somebody? Hey, he can have that. I'm good, man. I'm good. They may be good, but things could be a whole lot better if they would let their pride down and say, yeah, it's good, but it could be better. It could be great. Look at verse one again. The first of it. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, what did he do? What did he do? This seems backwards to me. He climbs a hillside. Because in their world today, if you've got momentum, you capitalize on that momentum. You enjoy the momentum. But Jesus, his ministry starts growing. He starts drawing these huge crowds. He climbs a hillside. He goes for a hike. Now, let me be honest. I, I really do want to be that person that loves to hike. I do. I thought, that, I'd love to say, man, oh, yeah, me and my wife, we hike five, seven miles a day. We're not those people. We're, we're just not. Why? Because hiking takes effort. Are you with me? You have to exert energy. Climbing means you've got to exert some strength, take some action. You have to actually engage your will. Climbing forces you to use muscles that you didn't even know you had. Climbing expands your lung capacity, your breathing capacity. It strengthens your heart. Here's what I do know about hiking and climbing. You don't climb a hill by accident. You don't suddenly get to the top of that hill and go, how'd I get here? And, well, some of y'all probably done that before. <laughs> but let's be, let's come on, reel it back in. Some of y'all praying a whole week and you're like, how'd I get here? But anyway, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm making myself laugh. But you have to have the mindset and engage your will. I'm going to climb this hill. Why would Jesus, at the height of his ministry, his ministry gaining ground, why would he climb a hill? It's almost like he's purposely making it difficult. Why did Jesus climb the hill? See, there's been some speculation. Well, Kelly, he climbed the hill so that people could see and hear him better. I get that argument. I understand it. But I don't think that's the case here in this thing. I believe Jesus wanted anyone that wanted to be his disciple, he wanted them to know, hey, hey, if you really want to be like me, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to learn how to climb. Because Jesus didn't come so that you could just keep status quo. Jesus didn't come so that you could just live life as usual. Come on. 
Jesus is like, there's so much more for you than where you've been living. But if you want to get there, you got to learn to climb. You got to learn to climb. You got to dig deep. The problem, I think, is we've developed this low expectation of what life looks like. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's where the crowd is. I'm calling you to climb. And if you really want to live the life I have for you, you're going to have to learn how to climb. And Jesus was saying to them that day through his actions, hey, today you're, you're here with me, man, and you can stay right here if you want. It's your choice. It's good. But good is the enemy of great. And if you'll climb with me, exert some effort, you're going to find the great. Why, when, when the crowds were getting larger and larger, Jesus goes for a hike. He wanted his disciples in this crowd to know you, and I'm, I'm telling some of you, you need to hear this. You were meant for more. You weren't meant for the valley. You were meant for the mountain. You weren't meant to just survive. You were meant to live a life of significance. So how about we go climbing? Let me give you a feeling that goes along with that first truth. Pull that up for me. Good is always the enemy of great. Great always requires growth. And growth is always up. Jesus didn't choose you, call you, so that you could stay exactly where you were at. you're at. Are you hearing me? He didn't choose you because you could just stay who you are. He is always calling us higher. The question is this, are we going to climb with Jesus or are we going to be satisfied with just hanging with the crowd? That's the question. Are we going to settle for the convenient, the easy way? Are we going to intentionally invest our time, our energy, our resources in actually pursuing all that God has for us? God at good is always the enemy of great. The second truth when it comes to being a disciple. Uphill dreams demand uphill habits. Stole this from John Maxwell. John Maxwell in his book, No Limits, said this. Pull this up. Most people have uphill dreams but downhill habits. You have to intentionally turn downhill sliding into uphill climbing. Isn't that true if we're being honest? We've got these uphill dreams. We've got these big dreams, especially at the start of a new year. Come on. We've got dreams for a better marriage. We've got dreams of financial freedom, no debt, dreams of our, uh, for our health and fitnesses, dreams about a relationship with God. We're going to read the Bible more. We're going to study it more, pray more, dreams about breaking free from something or someone. Dreams. Those are great dreams. The problem is most of us have those uphill dreams, but we've got downhill habits. John Maxwell said there comes a point where you have to intentionally, intentionally turn downhill sliding into uphill climbing. But sliding downhill is more fun. Absolutely. But everything you want the life you want, the marriage you want, the career you want, the freedom you want 
is up there on the hill. Let's continue with verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. I love this. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. The word disciple literally means learner, follower, or student. And last week, we looked at those different edu- uh, levels of education for, for just children. You didn't go to college. College was not an option. And if you didn't become a disciple or go back to the family trade, well, you found a tradesman that you wanted to apprentice under. I mean, we, we do apprenticeships now. And what that meant is, hey, you want to be a fisher, uh, a fisherman? Find an expert, a professional fisherman, and they would put themselves under them, apprentice under them, where they would learn how they do things, how, the way they do things. You want to be a, a blacksmith, you apprentice under a, uh, an expert blacksmith, carpenter, lawyer, uh, all those. You put yourself in a position where you are constantly observing how they did things. Get this. When you became someone's apprentice or disciple, you were in, the, you were in a position to learn and become something you never could in the classroom. Why did Matthew say here, those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, his disciples, they climbed with him? Kelly, are you saying that Jesus loves those people more? Absolutely not. Jesus loved the crowds. He spent... uh, a lot of time with the crowds. He taught them. He healed, with, healed them. He wept, uh, wept over them. In two separate occasions, he fed them. But what he's about to share, the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, this is not for the crowds. This is for the committed, those willing to climb, those people that want to learn what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Climb with me. Listen, I told a guy this this past week. There is nothing convenient about following Jesus. Nothing. Look look at it. I I mean, turn the other cheek? Come on. We look, hey, hey, I've only got two. (laughs) It's blessed to give, more to give than to receive. I like getting. Come on. Forgive those that hurt you, persecute you. There is nothing convenient about following Jesus. And when Jesus calls you to climb, I can assure you it won't be easy. But nothing worthwhile is ever easy. Are you here? Here's the truth. When Jesus calls you to climb, it's always for your benefit that he's calling you to climb. Even though it may not seem like it at the time. You, you ever started a workout fitness program? Um, uh, while, while I don't do a lot of, I, I do, I'll do the elliptical trainer at the gym, Hammer Time Fitness in Spring City. Uh, he lets me work out there free, so I'll do this advertisement for him. Uh, but I do do that. When, 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 when you start those, that, that, that cardio workout, you don't just jump on a treadmill or whatever and just take off. Two minutes in, you're going to be sucking air. We're going to be calling an ambulance thinking you're dead. But what you do, you set that pace. 
and you find yourself in a week, hey, I can go stronger. I can go farther. What do you do? You're building lung capacity. You're using muscles that are getting stronger. You're, get this. Not only that, your mind is getting stronger. Because while your body or your mind is telling you, I can't go another step. It's going to kill me. It's not going to kill you. But your mind has convinced you it is. But your mind gets stronger the more you do it. And here's the thing. The more you show up, the more you climb with Jesus, it's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you breathe easier. It's going to make your mind stronger. It's going to make different parts of you that you didn't know could increase. It's going to increase. He calls you to climb for a reason. We talk a lot about being saved by grace. And I said this last, man, I am thankful, thankful for grace. But get this, we are not only saved by grace, we are sustained by grace. It sustains us. Grace gives us, it's God's power operating through us. My brother Chris, pastor at A2, man, he's got a great definition for grace. Pull this up, I love this. Grace is God's reckless, relentless, and unconditional love that meets us where we are and refuses to leave us where it found us. It is God's love working through his power to bring about our freedom and transformation. That's grace. I love grace. But let me be very clear. Following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you. And I realize in this culture we're supposed to make it easy, easy. But here's what I found. The church has told people lies for too long. And then when they give their heart to Jesus and it's not as easy as they thought it would be, they fall away. I'm going to tell you, man, it is the best decision I ever made. But it has not been a convenient decision. Are you hearing me? And, And do I get it right every time? No. There are days, there, there are days, man, I, you, people pull out in front of me, and I'm like, God bless you. Thank you, God. Then there are days, I'm telling them they're number one with the wrong finger. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, that's just me. Y'all are too holy for that. Because uh, y'all were like, yeah, that's good. Then the middle finger is like, <laughs> I'm just being honest. We don't always get it right. And that's why discipleship is a process. I said this last week. It's not a one time. It will cost you the anatomy of a disciple, man. I believe it involved three things. These are three things discipleship, becoming a disciple require. Separation. You got to separate yourself from your comfort zone. From your convenient zone. Are you hearing me? you got to break out of the crowd zone where you're so comfortable being part of the crowd. You know the crowd, man. Everybody likes me here. Nobody expects much out of me. If I climb, people might start expecting more out of me. you got to be willing to separate from that. Second thing it involves, elevation. Here's when you make a decision and you come to the terms that You weren't made to be average. Are you hearing me? You weren't made to be a beggar. You weren't made to just get by. You weren't made to be a coward and live in fear. 
You were made to be a doormat. You're not a failure. You're not garbage. You're not incompetent. You're not a loser. You weren't made for mediocrity. You may have used to have been a sinner, but now you're a son and daughter of God. You're no longer living with a victim mentality, but with Jesus, you realize you're victorious, and you quit making excuses and start setting examples. That's what you do. Elevate. Look at your name and say, Elevate. Told a guy this, man, I get the same guy I was talking to this past week about it not being convenient. And he, he's like, well, Kelly, you understand. And he's talking about why uh, they may not have been here a certain night. You understand, don't you, uh, PK? I said, honestly, I don't. I said, I'm just not wired that way, I guess. I, I said, I, I don't allow things to keep me from doing what's important to me. I, I mean, I just don't. And, and we begin to talk more, and, and, and I said, listen, I said, Here, here's the thing. The people that say, well, Kelly, man, here's what keeps me from coming to church. You know, like COVID, man, I don't want to be around big crowds. I, don't, I said, what kills me is those same people. I see them at Walmart. And I guess church is the only place where you can catch COVID. I'm just going to leave it there. Thirdly, third thing it requires, transformation. Here's the thing about being an actual disciple of Jesus. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more like him you become. The more you follow him, the more you allow yourself to be covered in his dust, the more like him you become. There's, it requires transformation. If you are the same person, you get saved, and two years, three years, even a year from now, you're exactly the same? Something didn't happen in that, trans you know. You should be transforming. Even with setbacks, you're being transformed. Because here's what I learned. A lot of, we, we, we start recognizing our setbacks. Before, before, ah, just code or par, par for par for the course but now you say you know what man i did i'm gonna get back i i'm that's i'm not gonna live here i'm gonna dust myself off and get back in his dust let's get let's move on because we got to get this finished before snowmageddon hits <laughs> thank you again for braving this weather oh man people that move here from the north are like what uh but anyway so good is always the enemy of great. We never fully arrive. Uphill dreams demand uphill habits. And thirdly, discipleship isn't about trying harder. It's about surrender. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's about surrender. It's about grace. It's about relationship. Look at this passage of Scripture one more time. Matthew 5, 1 and 2 through the message. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed the hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Sat down and taught who? See, Jesus, when they climbed with him, Jesus quit seeing them just as disciples or followers. He saw them as friends. Yeah. 
companions. He was inviting them into a relationship when he climbed. See, here's the thing. People knew a rabbi. If a rabbi was speaking and he was standing and just walking, it wasn't official. It was just, you know, just talk. But when a rabbi sat down and began to teach, it meant, oh, pay attention. What he's about to say, there's life in it. And Jesus sat down, and they knew what he's about to say matters. It carries authority. He's about to say something that shapes me. You, you remember last week, you know, when I, I addressed this earlier, how a rabbi, Jesus was not just a rabbi, but he was one that they considered a rabbi with smicha. In other words, the, the, the ability to interpret scripture and text. And, and, and remember what that was called, a, a rabbi's interpretation of text. And how it was called what? A rabbi's yoke. With that in mind. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, a scripture you've seen. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. This is Jesus talking. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Rabbi's yoke. Take how I interpret the scripture. Because what Jesus was saying this, I know rabbis before me have beat you down and made you feel less than because you couldn't take my yoke, the way I interpret Scripture, the way I interpret the text. Why? Because when it comes down to it, I am the Word made flesh. And if anybody knows how it should be interpreted, the Word itself should know. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Be a disciple of mine. For I am gentle, humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus sat down, called his climbing companions, and he was saying, hey, guys, here's my yoke. It's not a complicated set of rules. It's about a relationship. Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what qualified those that climbed with Jesus that day to become his climbing companions? You know what qualified them to be that? Not a single thing. They just simply accepted Jesus' invitation to climb. Jesus invited them to separate themselves from the crowd or the fair-weathered fans of Jesus. You know, fair-weathered fans and a team, how you're with them as long as things are good. And I kind of see the crowd just separate yourself from that because this was the same crowd that days later would shout crucify him. Separate. Become a disciple. Climb with me because my yoke is easy. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this. And I think uh, Kramer, if I can get him to come on up. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30. I love this translation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I mean, there are days I read, are you tired? Check. Worn out? Check. Are you burned out on religion? Check. 
Jesus, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Be covered in my dust. Work with me. Watch how I do it. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace because I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. Becoming a disciple of Jesus isn't about trying harder. It's about surrender. Let's close with this. There's a great story in Acts 4. One of my favorite stories, and you'll see why. Peter and John have been out preaching. They get confronted by the religious authorities in the area because they're preaching Jesus. They're frustrated, Peter and John. They're saying, hey, Jesus did rise from the dead. And I love what is said about Peter and John by the council because they, these religious leaders pull them into a council. And here's what's said about them, Acts 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. What do I mean? When they realized these guys have no formal religious training, These guys didn't go to the house of study, the house of learning. These guys had to go back and start because they were C students. They weren't the best of the best. Since when these guys realized that who John, Peter and John were, they were astonished. And they took note. These men had been with Jesus. I love this story. They took note. Well, they noticed, man, Peter and John, they're ordinary men, no special training. I love the way the passion paraphrases. They discovered that they were just ordinary men who never had any religious training. What made them stand out? Their boldness, yes. How bold they spoke about Jesus and the resurrection. But here's what really stood out to these guys. They took note. These men had been with Jesus, their rabbi. These men had become like their rabbi. That is the anatomy of a disciple. To become like Jesus, to follow Jesus, spend time with him, so much so that that Jesus and all he is, it begins to rub off on you in everything you do. You know, I got a call this week from a a guy, and uh, I, I, I know the guy really well, so when he answered the phone, I said, are you calling me to get off my wife's list? Because he was supposed to do some work for Denise and never, and he's, no, 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 man, I'm not going to. He said, he said, I'm calling you, Kelly, because, man, he said, I feel like you got to give compliments when they're due. He said, I was talking to a guy this week, and he said, you know, that Kelly, he's a changed man. He's not the same as he used to be. And here's the thing. It's not something I set out. You know what I mean? Here's where I want to be. It's just, 
I began to follow Jesus. And I began to, to say, these things in my life, man, they carry no more weight with me. They carry no, nothing on me. I want to be like Jesus. There's nothing convenient about being a disciple. The passion says it like this. They began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. There's nothing convenient about being a disciple or follower of Jesus, guys. It demands us to climb. But in the climbing, we find ourselves as climbing companions sitting at his feet, learning from him, soaking all that he is. His character begins to influence our character. His heart becomes our heart. How he loves people, sees people, becomes how we love people and see people. How he responds to stress and worry becomes our template to how we respond. Stand with me across this room. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. When we become a disciple of Jesus, I would love to tell you that over that changes happen like that. It's not been the case with me. People that knew me 10, 15 years ago tell you I had a horrible temper. But I'm not that same man today. Do I still get mad? Absolutely. But I don't let it control me anymore. When I become a disciple of His, His heart became my heart. The way he saw people, the way he sees people, the way he loves people, influences how I see people, love people. Don't don't tell me you're a Christian and be racist towards someone. Are you hearing me? Don't tell me that you're a disciple. Maybe I should say that word. Don't tell me you're a disciple of Jesus and treat someone that's gay, homosexual, any different than you would your brother. Can we get real here? became a disciple of Jesus and when you follow the lives of his disciples I, I, I wish Ben and I, I know Peter and them did that the moment they said yes to Jesus their attitudes changed they got nicer they became better people they didn't lose their cool Peter had been following Jesus almost three years and he cuts a guy's ear off
but you begin to recognize where you need to grow. And you begin to allow God to come in and make changes in you that you know need to be changed. I don't want, listen, I don't want to be at the end of 22. I don't want to be anywhere near the same person I was when I started this year. I, I don't, I want to love people more. I want to see people for who they are in Christ. How'd I even get off on this? Can I tell you this, guys? There's nothing convenient about following Jesus. It demands us to climb. Climb. If you are the same person a year from now that you are today, I question, have you been are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just part of the crowd? I want to be a hill climber. I want to climb. I want to get to the, man, I want to climb so high. The air is so thin that if Jesus is not breathing in me, I'm going to pass out. I want to climb. disciple of Jesus is not knowing a lot of facts about Jesus. I know people that, that have degrees in theology that are just jerks. And they know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Here's what I want 2022 to look like for us. I want us to be known for a church that the homosexual can walk in this place and not feel judged, but that we love them so much, they've got to figure out what's different about us. I, I want to, hey, I don't care if you clap or not. I'm just going to be very vocal with you. I, I want the person to walk in here with, from, from uh, whether they're Spanish, whether they're uh, black, whatever uh, nationality they are, and they and they're they're like, oh man, that's in Decatur, Tennessee. But they walk through those doors and they feel so stinking love they don't understand it. Because here's what I know: just because their sin is different from yours. mean you get the right to treat them less than who God says they are. Man, I'm just, honestly, Ben, I'm just trying to figure out what God's wanting to do. Casey? Because here's the thing. God loved us right where we are, right where we were. 
But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you shouldn't be in that same place a year from now. I'm inviting you. You know, let me, let me get our, our Casey, Ben, if, if Amanda here, any of our staff, uh, come up, or our, our leadership, come on up. Come, come up here on stage. Or no, no, right here, right here's good. Come on up, babe. There's Amanda. Yeah, come on up. Paul, Candace, Bill, Sam. sweating so bad right now. Here's my invitation. Come climbing with us. Come climbing with us. Come climbing. That means this. You've got to exert energy. You've got to make an effort to climb. You don't just find yourself at the top of a hill on accident. You've had to make moves. You've had to take steps. Some steps were comfortable. Some steps weren't that comfortable. Sometimes you got scratched up. Sometimes you went to reach for a rock, and maybe there was a bug there that bit you. Uh, but it, you, you're like, I'm getting up there because climbing with Jesus is not convenient. But guess what? When you get up there, you're with Jesus. Here's what I want to do. And if I'm being honest, I'm not feeling good at all right now. Huh? I want to invite you to climb with 